Hey, it's Ralph here. Q1 is now closing and it probably didn't go as well as you had hoped, but I'm sure your agency is probably telling you that they crushed it. But in reality, it crushed you. If your agency isn't on the same page as you are, if there's something wrong, but you can't quite put your finger on what that thing is, go on over to tier11.com forward slash apply. It will set you up on a call to show you a better way to look at your business, not just metrics that make us agencies look good, but something that actually moves the needle and makes you more money, acquires more new customers, and ultimately achieves your vision. Head on over to tier11.com forward slash apply today. You're listening to Perpetual Traffic. Hello and welcome to the Perpetual Traffic Podcast. This is your host, Ralph Burns, and this is episode 264. And today I am really excited because we've got some of the band back together for this week's episode with Amanda Powell. How are you? Oh, doing good. Doing good. And uh, we also have a special guest here today, which is think something that Amanda knows a little bit more about than I do. So she'll probably be asking a lot of the questions. I'm a reformed search engine optimization <laughs> guy now into paid advertising, but we're really excited to have uh, this guy on here today because not only does the name of his title and who he works for is impressive, but what's even more impressive, he actually really knows what he's talking about. He is the global SEO strategist with IBM. Yeah, that big company, IBM. And today we're going to be talking about his take on search engine optimization in the current state of affairs, as well as where it sits in 2020. But I think what's really important is uh, Jesse started off as a graphic designer and then went into local SEO, which is super competitive, super important an area which I used to do way back when when we were an SEO agency. And now he's in enterprise. So he's seen a lot of different things, but also he's an SEO with design experience, which is pretty cool. He's not like, just like a technician guy. He actually uh, has a design element and understands sort of how a website really has to work, not only from a technical perspective. But before we introduce Jesse, I do want to say that his thoughts and opinions are his own and not that of IBM. So with that intro, Jesse... Welcome to Perpetual Traffic, man. Thanks for having me. And thank you for covering my contractual obligation of that statement. <laughs> I can remain employed after this uh, episode goes live. Well, we just wanted to say that we might say that a few more times just in case the IBMers are listening to the show. But, yeah, um, might as well. Yeah, right, <laughs> might as well. Might as well. So, yeah. So give us a little bit of uh, history of your background, like kind of how you started in SEO. I mean, obviously, you started with a graphic design. How do you end up becoming <laughs> the global SEO strategist with <laughs> IBM. So it's actually kind of a funny story. I grew up super into music, super into art. So I wanted to go to school for something art related. So it's like, oh, graphic design. One of my favorite bass players was a graphic designer for his band. It's like, perfect. So I went to school for graphic design. As I'm going through it, fell in love with you know things like typography and page layout and general print design and decided that I wanted to be a print designer. Uh, end of the track before I graduated, was a couple of web design classes. And I did really well in them because I took some programming in high school. So did really well at them, but it just wasn't for me. And I remember having a moment where I looked at my girlfriend, now wife, and saying, I'll never work in web. This is horrible. I'll never do that. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to go work in a magazine or something and do layouts. It's going to be great. So fast forward a year or two, I just moved from 
Mississippi to Austin. Couldn't really find a job in the very design-heavy world of Austin, but then found a company, a small agency uh, called Geek Powered Studios that had a very interesting culture, very much related around just general nerdiness. They always, every year, played a 24-hour game-a-thon to raise money for the Dell Children's Hospital. So they kind of fit into my general outside-of-professional-life culture. So I took a chance and said, you know, hey, I'd, I'd like to work with you guys. And after a few months of kind of doing everything, so getting my hands dirty in PPC, SEO, and even doing some design stuff, I actually really fell in love with the SEO side of things. So when the time came for the very small company, I was employee number nine, but after you know a few people had left just because it was so small, I was actually employee number five on the books. When, when that started turning into, well, we need to, everyone quit doing everything and become departments, I chose SEO. So I stuck with it, started learning it, and eventually, after a few years, worked my way into being the director of uh, the SEO department, had a team of six underneath me, all you know, fresh with very little SEO knowledge, teaching them everything that I knew, everything they needed to know, and we ended up winning an, a couple of awards for it. So building up an award-winning team, those people moving on to some incredible positions now. And then I moved into working with an agency out of LA called Top Hat Rank. They work very much with you know more enterprise companies, so that gave me a little bit more experience there. And then after working with them for about a year, decided to move more from the agency life to the in-house world and took a position with IBM, which is where I am now, where I'm one of the global SEO strategist on an incredible, incredible team. So I've seen a little bit of everything. Worked from 10-page sites that just only target Austin to a couple million. I think I think our site, IBM site, is currently about 10, 15 million, something like that. And obviously it's worldwide. So yeah, I've kind of run the gamut of what you can do with SEO. I think what's interesting, I guess, if you really think about it, all three of us kind of started in the local SEO field. And it seems like all of the SEOs, I know at least, always start local. And from my perspective, I always feel like I went into SEO because you're creating content for these small businesses and you have these clients and then you're realizing like, what, nothing, nothing's happening. I'm like building content (laughs) and nothing's happening. And actually, I, you're creating all of these marketing materials and nothing, nothing, <laughs> nothing's <laughs> happening. No one's seeing it. Right. And that's kind of what interested me in SEO. And, you know, that's what I'm curious about is out of doing PPC and design and what drew you to the SEO, especially after being so artistically minded, what kind of drew you toward search optimization? <laughs> so, Right out of the gate, the thing that I didn't like about PPC, much like the retail jobs I had in college and you know, a little bit of high school, I don't like dealing with money directly. <laughs> just something about dealing with a client's money. I get it. <laughs> I would just be way too conservative about it. I wouldn't end up being aggressive enough or I would be overly aggressive and spend too much money. So that just not the realm for me. I can write ads all day long. I can work on landing pages. I've helped a lot with landing pages in some of my previous jobs that have done really well. All about that. Can do that all day long. But once you start getting into bids and stuff, I start shutting down and it just doesn't work for me. 
coming from my design background, the thing that actually got me into more of the SEO stuff right out of the gate was doing more, I guess, A-B testing. So really trying to optimize a site for conversion by you know simple changes, text on a, on a button, moving the button from the bottom to the top, just little changes like that. I found that wildly interesting. And then for some reason that turned into like a really, I don't know if I would say a love for, but a, a real interest in, in link building. Okay. So I dove really heavily into link building for a long time, very into, you know, spending my time looking for new opportunities for local clients in their areas to, to build links either through sponsorships or partnerships and new ideas for content that would generate more links. And then I got really heavy into disavows. Oh, interesting. So I I feel like I'm one of the few people in this world that if you told them, hey, we need to do a disavow, I'm there 100%. <laughs> My running joke with IBM is that one day I hope to get the department to a place where we, the, you know, everything's running well, everything's doing good, and we just need some, you know, icing on the cake type work diving into 2 billion links and you know creating a disavow file for that is my absolute dream project. <laughs> I don't know why, but I really enjoy doing it. But going back to the the original question of why my design mind kind of ended up pushing me towards SEO, I think it's honestly the way that you think creatively doing the work and setting up a page is really a design practice. And I don't know if it's just the position that I started in being so, you know, you're kind of doing a little bit of everything, but I found that creating that page hierarchy, which is an incredibly important foundational element for better rankings, basically scratched that itch that I had to be a designer without me being a corporate designer and basically (laughs) burning my passion for art. Makes sense though. It does. (laughs) Because you are still creating on the site. You're Mm -hmm. just creating a logical user experience, which, oh, by the way, just so happens to help your search engine optimization. Exactly. And also just for our listeners, disavows are when spammy, if spammy sites are linking over to your site and you need to tell Google that you're not actually associated and that these links don't actually hold any value or that you understand that they don't hold any value, then you'll disavow a link so that Google doesn't ding you for thinking that you're a spam site. And generally you have a certain number of those links, right? I mean, you can't stop any kind of like spam from linking over to your site. But when you can go through, and I'm, I'm sure when you're at a corporate company like IBM, you get thousands of them. So oh, yeah. I yeah. can't even imagine what that project <laughs> would look like. <laughs> it's a negative SEO signal, really. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So. You're basically saying that you want to disassociate with something that's either a crime of a past SEO or someone, you know, doing something a little shady on your site. And it's currently up for debate right now if they actually work. That was going to be my next question. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) In in my experience, they do. There's been a few sites uh, before I moved over to IBM that I worked on in the past couple of years after Penguin went into the main algorithm or at least updating live where they said, you know, you know, you don't really have to do disavows anymore, where I've done a disavow. And after, you know, a couple of weeks and those pages getting crawled again, the site seeing a decent recovery, it could be correlated with something else. But for for my book, I personally prefer to do the work. 
as opposed to hoping that the algorithm does it for me. So if it's something that's just blatantly spam and I don't want to associate the brand with it anyway, I'm going to put it in a file and and submit it and hope that it it works. And if it doesn't, you can always retract the disavows. And I feel like those are always the kind of SEO. Like, I feel like all SEOs have like certain tricks up their sleeve like that. Like, <laughs> oh, you don't have to do this vows anymore. But then you realize that, oh, some SEOs still are and you're seeing an impact from it when you get rid of it. And I feel like everyone has those little those little tips and tricks. And For sure. I'm curious, too, since we're talking about links, this is like my jam and I could talk for hours, <laughs> hours on this, but I'm curious because. Right now, and especially at Digital Marketer, we've found that it's gaining popularity to no longer link build. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, have read so many articles on like if it if it really helps or if it's a drop in the bucket, especially when you're at like a corporate company. I come also come from like a larger tech company before I started at Digital Marketer. And I'm curious if you guys still do link building for a corporate company or you know, you started at the local level where link building is kind of the foundation, but for smaller businesses now, do you think that's still that building links back to the site is still the foundation? Or do you think it happens more naturally based on the content that you're building now? So I think it really depends on where you are. Let's say something like IBM where I'm at now, Link building is not really something our team focuses on. I mean, Mm -hmm. we do have like a PR team, so they're pushing stuff out, but they're not thinking of it necessarily from an SEO perspective. But our team doing link building, legally not something we can even really do just because (laughs) it has to go through that that PR and legal standards sort of thing. (laughs) So our team doesn't even think about it. Plus, a site this big and this well-known, we don't really need it. We have the, the knowledge and the, I guess, authority already built up. So those links come to us anyway, as long as our products make sense and our content makes sense and is linkable, then the links are going to come to us. It's not a big deal. Mom and pop shops, small stuff, local SEO, very much uh, a link building thing. You have to, you know, work on those citations that get out your information, like your name, address, uh, phone number, and website. So you might hear that being referred to as the NAP. Getting those things consistent across the web uh, helps build that information and authority to your actual physical location, which then impacts maps. And then simultaneously, you want to look at things like local sponsorships, local publications where you can really share your expertise and not only get the benefit of a link from it, but you get your brand name out. So I've always thought of local link building as more of a a traditional PR, almost guerrilla marketing exercise. The example I use is, let's say you are a company, you know, in in your town, let's say Austin, and you sponsor a little league, you know, baseball team. More than likely, that sponsorship will get you put on their website, which will include a link. But simultaneously, a lot of those sponsorships include placement of your logo on, you know, jerseys, signage at the the actual field, which then has the benefit of more recognition for the attendees of the game. So really, you're building up that that potential authority and relationship for the people that would use your product in the future, especially if it's something that the parents of the kids would actually use. Like, I need a new roofer. <laughs> I remember seeing that logo at the my kid's baseball game. Let me call them first, at least. 
Sure. So th- you're really looking for that, but it's an incredibly important piece of the puzzle when it comes to something like local SEO. I think links are still important across the board, but I think link building is different depending on where you are. So if I'm a local business mm-hmm. and listening, and we have a lot of people that use you know perpetual traffic to, to get more traffic to their site, obviously. And I don't think we've ever really talked about naps all that much, (laughs) although I love taking naps. (laughs) Name, address, and phone number. It's my new passion, by the way, Amanda. Really does help. I'm a big believer in it now. But anyway, name, address, and phone number, that still was, and it still is today, even back when we were doing local SEO three, four years ago. I was just sort of looking back at one of our sites for like personal injury lawyer, New Bedford MA. It's like, there it was, it's still there. Because we focused a lot on name, address, and phone numbers. And also the PR aspect of it, you know, the name on the back of the Little League shirt or out in the field or the badge on the site or whatever it happens to be. So if I'm a local business, service business, whether I'm an attorney or anything else, and I want to rank inside, I always want to say Google Places, but I guess it still is Google Places, is it just name, address, phone number? Is that the best way to go about doing it to make the quickest impact, especially maybe if the competition isn't all that great? Like, what's your sense? If I'm listening here, what's the one thing I should do that Jesse, knowing all this stuff and also doing this for IBM, would tell me to do? Well, there is no question that when it comes to influence and persuasion in digital marketing, no one, and I mean no one, commands more respect than Dr. Robert. Cialdini. If you have never read his books, Influence and Persuasion, I swear you are missing so much in your digital marketing, not only as an influencer and an advertiser, but as just a great marketer. And that's why I'm so excited to invite you to a free webinar where he'll be sharing his latest insights on new e-commerce strategies. Now, alongside Dr. Cialdini, you'll learn from Bass Wouters and the authors of Reputation King, my buddies Scott Branley and DJ Sprague. Attendees will absolutely be able to understand exactly how to gain a competitive edge in the marketplace by leveraging online reputation management. Now, that's something that we haven't talked about here on this show all that much. And it's more reason for you to register for the webinar here, which is completely free over at reputationking.com forward slash PT. So join us on April 18th from 12 noon to 2 p.m. Eastern. That's 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Pacific for you West Coasters by registering at reputationking.com forward slash PT. Once again, that's reputationking.com forward slash PT. Cialdini has been a huge influence on me. and I can't wait to see how his new e-commerce strategies resonate with you and how they affect your business in a positive way using reputation management. Make sure that you register for the April 18th free webinar at reputationking.com forward slash PT. The first thing I would tell you to do is to claim your Google My Business account make sure to fill it out completely with the correct name, address, phone number, and actually build it out with your your images, your logo, and and make sure that you can fill out every category that you can and make it a robust profile simultaneously. Mm -hmm. So let's call this a two-part single suggestion. Making sure that your name, address, phone number, and basic information on your website is correct and marked up properly using either schema or JSON-LD markup So that Mm -hmm. when Google hits that information, it knows to associate you correctly 
And if you use the same as attribute within that, you can connect it to your Google My Business to make it a little bit more understanding that that is your actual profile. So you're doing a little bit more of that work for them. Honestly, I've been out of local for a couple of years, so I know that the local algorithm has changed and gotten a lot smarter recently. So those Mm. things might not be as important, but they're still definitely foundational stuff that I would personally do if I was still working in the local game. But I think, as I recall, I mean, that's that was the thing. It's like it had to be 140 Main Street ST dot comma suite spelled out 410 mm-hmm. or whatever it happens to be like those that had to match up exactly i think people yep. forget that then they go and they start building naps or they maybe hire somebody and they forget about the actual profile itself mm-hmm. i think that's oh google just you know it's just common sense i mean you have to have that sort of stuff first but i i do think that after working with a lot of local seos that's the one thing that they really do forget like all the other stuff really doesn't matter you got to get your actual you know, a profile itself. Correct. Yeah. So I think that's, that's really good advice with images and everything else that goes along with it. Exactly. And I love that you brought up schema because it's more of like the technical SEO side. And for everyone listening, uh, Jesse will actually be doing the technical piece of our soon, hopefully to be updated, uh, (laughs) search marketing (laughs) cert. So you can learn all of the technical aspects of SEO once that gets updated. But You know, I think especially coming from, you know, SEO and I'm more on the content side of things where we're building out, you know, optimization for what you're building within the content. I think schemas always, even just the word, I think sounds intimidating to people. And I think SEO in general has like, from my personal opinion, the most ridiculous terminology that is so intimidating where it's really, you know, like (laughs) Ralph, I mean, nap is, you know, sounds, but it's really just name, address and phone number. And I think that's a lot of the terminology in SEO where it's a lot of common sense on what you can put on your website and, you know, very simple things to implement that just sound really confusing. So, I mean, going off of, you know, specific schema, like, what are your, you know, top recommendations when it comes to like those, like things like schema that are those such simple things that you can implement on your site that make like the biggest impact, but are not necessarily on the front end of a website? I definitely think schema markup where you can is, is a huge one because that can help get you some more of the the SERP features that help you stand out. So you know, adding reviews to your site can help you know, add stars to your actual SERP listing as opposed to it just it not being there unless Google decides to stop doing those. So looking at things like that, adding it to your videos on your site, to your actual images to improve image search, which I believe there's currently an image search update going on that adds more description to the image search results, which is meant to encourage people to click into the site more. So being able to impact those type of results is huge. But I mean, on top of that, there are little things that you can do that a lot of people don't think make a big impact, but they do. So, you know, something as simple as making sure that your title tag is actually optimized because it truly is the first line of code most of the time that the crawler will read. So 
it being well optimized and not just being, you know, your brand name or the same thing on every single page can make a huge impact. So there are all those little foundational things and using H1 or headering hierarchy correctly through the site, (laughs) hugely impactful. Some people get that wrong. And a lot of stuff moves into the territory of Google smart or search engines are smart. They can kind of figure it out on their own, but you want to put your best foot forward. And if you can influence it positively for your favor, it's better to go ahead and do that as opposed to letting them figure it out. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Because you're a designer, now that's my next question. So, (laughs) and I've had to deal with this before too. When you're working with designers, generally they've learned, I mean, I even learned this in the one graphic design class (laughs) that I took in college that I was absolutely terrible about, but generally for font size and for font styling and for like specific graphic pieces, you use the H tags that are actually affecting SEO. So how do you deal with that? And how do you explain not to do that to your designers and, you know, how to do that manually versus just clicking a tag that can make the text bigger. That's actually affecting your search engine optimization. (laughs) So that's really funny. That was one of the first things I did after I got into SEO, because in my web design classes, that's how it was taught. Yep. (laughs) If you want text big, you put it in H1. If you want it smaller, you put it in H2. It had nothing to do with page hierarchy. So I emailed my professor and was like, dude, you're teaching this wrong. I, you're, it, if you change the way you taught this, you would literally add almost a new skill set to everyone's, you know, what you're teaching them so they can actually get jobs outside of, you know, what they're getting their degree on. So, I mean, honestly, for me, I really enjoy working with designers, especially at the first agency I was, I was at, worked very closely with a design team and spent a lot of time helping teach them SEO. So a lot of them have come out of that job being SEO forward designers, which is honestly hugely valuable skill to have. Understanding design while understanding SEO makes you a very dangerous and hireable human being. <laughs> so I'm one of my, you know, one of my really good buddies from that job. He is a, a brilliant designer, but he understands code and he understands SEO basics. So the decisions that he makes are excellent. So it ends up becoming less of a, well, you can't do this because it's bad for SEO and becomes, what do you think of this? And becomes more of a productive collaboration as opposed to just defending something to help it rank better and coming to some sort of compromise. So I always really encourage SEOs to either go learn design, Mm -hmm. um, just taking some basic design courses, not necessarily like learn how to do Photoshop and (laughs) illustrator graphic design classes, but principles of design. Mm -hmm. And simultaneously, I always encourage designers to go learn, you know, coding and SEO and things like that, just to expand those kind of secondary and tertiary knowledge sets to make you even better at the main thing that you do. Absolutely. And I think I know our designers are almost because probably because they've had to listen to me run my mouth and sit behind me in the (laughs) office for almost two and a half years. But Yeah. When it becomes more of a collaboration, you're able to start seeing things rank that you haven't even touched. And I think that's the really cool piece of, you know, one of our main designers now probably knows just about as much of SEO technically than I do, maybe even more because he also has more of a background in coding than I do. So 
he's found tools that I hadn't even heard of that allow him to more easily change text that's not going to affect the H1s that are going to guide Google through the page so that you can rank properly. And I think that's design isn't something that we really talk about in SEO a lot, but it's such an important factor because you don't realize how many design elements can actually coincide with the elements that you need to be able to rank the page. Yeah, I completely agree. The fact that design isn't necessarily a conversation common in the SEO circle is a crime. Uh, it's <laughs> so we talk about usability and things like that, but no one talks about the actual design, you know, the meat and potatoes of the user experience and usability of a page. Yes. So I, I truly think that that's something more SEOs should learn and more designers should learn SEO. And I also think that it's like, because it, it, it lends itself to usability. So it's almost in the same way that SEO runs parallel to paid advertising, where if we're spending more money on Facebook or if we're spending more money on Google, generally organic rankings will increase just because the awareness is going up. And I think design works the same way. Whereas if there's a bad user experience on the page, then your rankings are going to go down because people are going to bounce. So it's so intertwined. And that just kind of leads me into, you know, based on ranking in terms of algorithm updates, I'm I'm curious. I'm sorry, Ralph. I have to ask about Bert. <laughs> <laughs> ask away. <laughs> we did a whole episode on Bert. If you didn't hear this episode, Bert was all about a language processing algorithm update that happened last year. And the conversation that we continued to have at Digital Marketer was how one, I think it could be really good for local businesses because the idea was that BERT creates the algorithm so that when you type a query into Google, it's looking at the whole query in terms of language processing, like you're actually asking a question instead of just pulling the main keywords out and then pulling whatever piece of content has those main keywords. So it's looking at, you know, if you ask, where is the nearest pharmacy? It's not asking what is a pharmacy or something like that in terms of Google. That's probably a bad example. But, you know, it's looking at the entire query instead of just the main keywords. But what we found at Digital Marketer when we started testing, you know, looking at what pages were ranking and the examples that Google was using on what would happen as BERT started to release was that we were getting old results based on the language query. So results were popping up that were the more related to the query that you were typing in based on the language, but they were from 2014 because it's an almost exact match now in terms of like the long tail queries that, you know, Bert was implementing. And I don't think that it's like made a huge, you know, dent in the SEO industry, but I do find probably once or twice a week that when I type in like a longer tail keyword from a search perspective that I'm getting older and older results because of what I believe to be that update. And I'm just curious. I have to ask your opinion on it as like a <laughs> fellow <laughs> SEO, if you've seen the same thing or like what your opinion is on that particular algorithm update and how, you know, I think how businesses in general can optimize for that long tail keyword. Cause I do think there's an opportunity there when you have these long tail queries going into Google and things from 2014 are popping up. That's just, I mean, straight opportunity. My guess, because from our perspective, at least, you know, being at this global enterprise company, we noticed that it very much 
tackled pages that used a lot of marketing jargon. <laughs> so a lot of stuff that just doesn't make sense to the consumer. I mean, it might, but more than likely, you know, your average Joe who's looking for a service that we offer probably wouldn't find it just because it's so marketing heavy as far as content goes. So it we've been using that to to really emphasize, you know, you need to look into updating your your content to actually target what people are searching for and what makes sense for that content. So one of the focuses of our team and I mean it's it's been around for years, but every algorithm update it seems to push it even further is the importance of intent for the search yes. as opposed to what you're actually targeting itself. So that's something we're working very closely on right now to help improve the overall yeah, experience and presence of IBM.com. But I, I think BIRD is one of those things that helps push intent forward. So it could simply be that that page met that intent of that query even further, even though it's older. Yep. So that gives, like you were saying, an opportunity for people to say, well, why is this page ranking better from a content perspective? Looking at maybe it answers the question more thoroughly right out of the gate and isn't full of a ton of fluff or you know <laughs> sales pitches and stuff. So going into your content and doing the same thing, but trying to answer it better, <laughs> which brings up kind of that that at this point it would I guess be considered an old school school of thought of you know doing it 10x, making it yep. better, doing it better than what your competitors are doing. I, I think that's really something that Bert has pushed forward as far as SEO goes. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, Mark, that's such a crime, I think, in the marketing field of in terms of building content, attempting to build content for search <laughs> engines and losing losing the customer completely and like the intent of what the value really was supposed to be and trying to focus on the keyword that you want to rank for. And I think that's such a mindset that's almost drilled in when you start in the marketing field of like, we need to rank for this specific keyword. And I remember when I was first learning search engine optimization, an old boss was like, if you ever hear someone say, I want to rank for this specific keyword, run for the hills. And now there's an old joke where one of our execs came up to me my first week and was like, I need to rank for this keyword. <laughs> Fortunately, it was easy and there was a no index tag on there. So I just <laughs> took the no index tag and was like, ta-da, I did it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Every time I've taught anyone about SEO that doesn't really know what SEO is, I've always explained it as, you know, there's there's two algorithms. You have the search engine algorithm, no matter which engine mm -hmm. you're optimizing for, but there's also the human algorithm yes. and you have to optimize for both. If that. it if it only meets the search engine's needs, then the human won't convert, so there's no point in ranking anyway. If it only meets the human's needs, the human will never get to it because you won't rank. So you have to find those little concessions and meet in the middle to to appease both algorithms. Yes, the human algorithm. I've actually never heard that terminology before, but I love that sentiment in terms of, you know, making sure that you're not just optimizing for the algorithm, but that it's a give and take versus what you're 
trying to rank in Google and what you're trying to get across to your customer. Don't mind me as I go run uh, to copyright the term human <laughs> algorithm. He can um, see a light bulb go off. He can yeah. see a light bulb go off in Zoom. <laughs> you can rank number one for that. Yeah, right. <laughs> okay. So the next you know, question that I have is based on, you know, you're working one of the biggest tech companies in Austin and the curiosity I'm sure is there for anyone listening of your favorite tools that are going to help you optimize for SEO <laughs> and what you guys use on a day-to-day basis? So tools are a really interesting thing in the corporate world because they're really tough to get because you have to go through procurement. <laughs> um, so you start looking at things like, is this actually even worth the effort of six months of procurement to get it? And we have a guy on our team who he's been fighting this fight forever for several tools and some go through and it's it's like the greatest day in the world i can't tell you the fight i put up with a screaming frog at my last tech company they were like this is spam and i was like no it just looks old (laughs) (laughs) i think uh screaming frogs actually one of them that we've been fighting for basically the entire year i've been at ibm and we're so i just came back from paternity leave and from what i've been told we're right on the cusp of getting it. So fingers crossed That's we get Screaming exciting. Frog. Um, <laughs> most of us just say screw it and buy our own license. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of things like that. So, you know, the hope mm-hmm. is Screaming Frog. But we use things like Bright Edge for, for sure. keyword tracking and some some general site auditing stuff. And that's really good because the way that we have our account set up, anyone within the IBM system can be attached to it. So it's easy to just, you know, put in keywords for any business unit, any page, as long as it makes sense. And it, it has to go through our team to be put in there, but they can track it. So it, it helps with enablement and to make the SEO world a bit more ubiquitous within the company. So that's a, that's a big one for us, especially because it is company-wide available. We also use nice. Hrefs. And that one, that one's a huge one for us. If I'm correct, you guys are sponsored by them. That was not a paid plug, by the way. It was not. I did not push him to say I've that. I've been in SEO <laughs> since 2014, and I've had Hrefs at literally Same. every single company yep. that I've worked at. So it's always been a part of my, my toolbox. Simultaneously, we use Content King, which is awesome. It helps us uh, monitor our actual content and pages for the things that we want. So I can say, this is the business unit I'm working in. Let me know anytime anything changes. If someone changes an H1, a title tag, the robots.txt file, anything. So that way I can diagnose it fast and let them know if something has screwed up. Or if we see rankings drops, we have an archive record of what's going on there. And then personally, and just my you know day-to-day mm-hmm. being an SEO, I, I really enjoyed tools like SEMrush. That's a big one for me. And always has been. I personally, I think the combination of Ahrefs and SEMrush in tandem is one of the strongest tool sets you can have as an SEO. That makes me feel better. <laughs> That's exactly what I use too. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, those two things alone, plus a you know a really robust crawler like mm-hmm. a deep crawl or a screaming frog being more of a local crawler. That's that's really what you need. That's the foundation of what you need. And then plugging in, you know, the variables that come your way are huge. But I mean, that that's really it for me. We also we use Google Analytics. Yeah. That's become a thing in the past year. 
before we used more of a proprietary analytics system. Now we've moved to something like Google Analytics. And then Search Console, obviously, is huge. It, it almost feels weird to say it because it feels like that should just be a given because everyone should have Search Console. Okay, so I had this question asked to me actually end of last week in terms of, I'm sure you <laughs> used to use Google Keyword Planner. A little bit, yeah. And now it's basically useless because it's mostly a paid tool <laughs> and comes in very broad generalizations in terms of search volume. So here at Digital Marketer, we always use, we use the tool that used to be free, but now it's like a couple bucks for 100,000 searches, which is Keywords Everywhere, which is just a Chrome mm-hmm. plugin. I'm curious what your go-to, I mean, obviously SEMrush and Hrefs also have that functionality in order to find the search volume, but I'm curious if you have like a quick, like what's your quick go-to tool? Is it like a Chrome extension or? It's it's actually a mixture of both. It was, honestly, I also used keywords everywhere until it went paid. (laughs) So I used that, but used it in tandem with a tool called Answer the Public. Ah, yes. (laughs) So if you actually have keywords everywhere enabled, you'll get volumes on Answer the Public. Ah. So... Fun little that. little tidbit trick there for you, <laughs> especially if you're still using it after it went paid. Definitely go do that. And I mean, most of the time you're there for semantics anyway, so mm-hmm. a lot of the volumes aren't that high. Yeah. But every now and then you'll find this little gem of a what is question that's like 450 a month. It's like, <laughs> oh, that's a long tail with a decent amount of search volume. Let's go for it. <laughs> But I mean, for me, I've always, and same with, you know, using tools to get multiple perspectives. I do the same with keyword volume. We use Bright Edge Instant a lot of the times to get a lot of, of keywords at one time. So Bright Edge being, uh, you know, kind of the main source of truth. But then I throw it into my, you know, personal SEMrush account just to check against that and see if maybe there's an alternative that they missed. And same with Ahrefs. So basically those three are are pretty much my go-tos for for keyword research. But I do very much like keywords everywhere. <laughs> that's my go-to tool, but we bought it for 10 bucks and we were like, "Oh, not half yeah, not, bad. not half bad." Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of people listening will find it fascinating that you're still using a lot of the tools that a lot of smaller businesses would be using. Like yeah. all of those tools, but maybe the exception of one or two Probably most of the people here have ever done anything similar to SEO have used those tools or at least are aware of those tools. And here you are, global SEO strategist at IBM, and you're using the same tools. And you are intentional about looking for long tails and conversion. Because I think when people will look at a site like IBM, they're like, they don't need to worry about that stuff. It's probably not even an SEO guy on there. Well, actually, there is. Like, you're still intentional. We have an entire team. Yeah, and that's... I think that's that might be sort of a wake-up call to a lot of people because they don't think that you'd really need it. I mean, you don't really worry about backlinks per se. It's not really you know, company policy to be able to go out and search for backlinks per se. The content speaks for itself and people are going to backlink to it. Obviously, you're going to have to use the disavow tool probably more than the actual going out and link building kind of stuff. <laughs> but like that's a fascinating part of it. Now, where do you sort of draw the line when you when your guys are creating content or you're looking for ways to further optimize? What are the things that you kind of look for first? And you're like, that's an easy win. You know, is it the H1 tags? Is it the title tag? Is it like internal linking? Like, what is it you'll say, all right, go do that first. And then everything else is kind of harder, but that's the easiest, 
you know, one that I can wipe off right off the top. If if anyone comes to me and says this page isn't ranking, this is what I'm trying to rank it for. Why? Give me some info on why. Give me your opinion. Because, I mean, really, our team works very much like an internal consulting agency. The business units, they they work on their sections of the site. They create their content. And we are implanted into that process to help them out with it as much as they want and allow us to. So some more than others, while others you know just get it and don't need us necessarily. So when they come to us, or even me, it's it's more of a, okay, what are you trying to do? So the first thing I typically look at is the terms that they're trying to rank for. I cross-reference those in the tools that I use and search in general to determine if that actually matches the intent of what the page is, or I get a sense of what that actual intent is. Because now with semantic SEO being more of a thing and being more you know, of a consideration in SEO, it's not just put term A on a page and you'll rank for term A and term B goes on another page. Now you have to look at all the semantic variations and the actual questions that revolve around that topic to make a robust page that ranks for a, a, a vast keyword inventory. So that being said, you could plug something like just a one word phrase into Google and it's not necessarily be a, a, a solution for purchasing. It could be more of like a what is or how is that denotes more of a learn intent. So I then cross-reference that with the page and determine, are they actually matching that intent? Or is this more, you know, solution oriented or product oriented to be a little bit more down the actual buyer's funnel? And then that's kind of where I start my auditing process. So once I understand the intent of the query itself, I then audit that page to determine, you know, are there any baseline ranking signals that are missing as, you know, the title tag optimized for this term is the H1 optimized for the correct term. Do the H2s then support that term with semantic variations and questions that make sense and actually fit that term and intent? And does the content actually match those actual sections themselves? Then looking at things like internal linking. So are there links from actual relevant pages on our site back to the actual intent main page. So let's say we have a learn intent page. Does it link to the solution page that shows our actual thought process on this subject itself? So we have the what is that tells you, you know, what is an actual cloud. Yep. Then the actual IBM cloud page that says this is our cloud. And then that pushes them further into the purchasing of our cloud products. So that typically tends to be my process. Usually, if you look at those kind of three main things, so the intent of the keyword, the actual layout and main foundation elements of optimization for a page, and then internal links on the page, you'll end up going down some level of rabbit hole where you'll find what's wrong. Mm. (laughs) Okay. How do you, and I always found this challenging, and it's probably changed quite a bit since we were doing it, is how do you avoid... Like, you know, you want to rank ultimately for cloud computing and multiple variants thereof. How -hmm. do you avoid keyword stuffing, which always seemed to be an issue? (laughs) Or is the tools that you're mentioning here enabling you to do that or plugins that you have on the site? Like, I always found that that was, I was like, if I wanted to rank for one thing, it's like, I always felt like I was 
doing it too much? Is it more intent based, taking time, looking back at it and saying, Does, am I stuffing here or am I actually speaking to the intent of the user, of the searcher in that case? It's definitely intent based. And you, you basically, what I like to do when I can, if I've either helped somebody out with a piece of content, laying some you know foundational terms for them, or even going back into content that's already written that just needs to be optimized a little bit better, I always try to read it as someone who doesn't know what's actually going on on the page to see if it flows correctly. So if I'm reading something about cloud computing, if it says cloud computing you know, 57 times on the page and there's only you know, 500 words, there's a problem. So I try to look at it from a user perspective. And that might be a product of my design background, trying to think of users when I'm creating something. But that's, that's really what I try to do. How will the user resonate with this? And if it is a little bit too you know, stuffy or you know, says the same term over and over again, how can we change that up? How can we vary those terms used? And what synonyms can we use to make it a more productive page and actually expand on keyword inventory? So when you are optimizing a page, it, I assume it has to go through multiple iterations through your team. This is a team approach or it's one person kind of does it like, how do you guys approach it? That's the goal. I mean, that that's an ideal world that we would do that. I mean, obviously there are pages on our site that we care more about than others because they're very marketing focused. So they need to be number one priority. But then some business units actually have the ability to hire an SEO themselves that's not even on our team. So a chunk of a site, usually like a subdomain or something like that, that we don't necessarily work with might have its own SEO that, you know, we can talk to and they, we can talk to them, they can talk to us, but they're not necessarily implanted on our team. So, I mean, ideally we, we would build a relationship with the business unit that we're working in or the, the chunk of the site or business that we're working in and and gain a level of trust with them so that they will come to us and say hey i'm i'm come i'm building this page or this set of pages what do you think how should we organize it what content should be there do you mind if i run it by you that sort of thing so that's that's really the goal that we're trying to do but honestly with a big organization like this that's only had a dedicated seo team for 4 years now 4 or 5 years it's a lot of we're kind of working with what's already there and just trying to make sure that we make ourselves available the best way possible. I love that you kind of ended with that of we're trying to work with what's already there. So for any listeners and like anyone who's like never touched SEO before or tried to optimize before, if they're just starting right where they are, what's your like Number one, go-to <laughs> tip, like this is where you start. This is what you should feed your URL into to figure out what's where to, you know, where to go from here. Do you have like that? This is always what I start with kind of starting point as an SEO. For me, I like to start with the actual SERPs themselves. So like I mentioned, you know, what term are you trying to rank for? Go look at what's actually ranking there because you don't really have to reinvent the wheel. You can use those as jumping off points. Yes. So, you know, if it's if one of your competitors is already ranking, take a look at how they did it and then go, don't emulate it, but do it in your own way, with your own perspective, mm -hmm. 
but make sure to answer the intent of the query itself and then start plugging that into you know whatever tools you have available to you. At the end of the day, Search Console is free. Yep. And you can do a lot with it. I I personally like to have that multi-tool approach when possible, but sometimes life doesn't you know, deal you those cards. Mm-hmm. So you have to work with what you have and that one should always be available to you even because I mean you don't have to pay for it. So just starting with that, you should be able to to get decent results out of it and then start building off, building your house on that foundation off of there. I love that you said that. The first the first piece I wrote for a digital marketer when I originally started as SEO manager was skyscraper, like a blog on skyscraper <laughs> content. So that makes nice. me really happy that you just said that. <laughs> so same idea. I, I think that's a, the best place to start from. Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, that's right. Just make it better. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Stand on the shoulders of giants. I mean, I, <laughs> I mean, they're already doing it. You yeah. can just do it a little bit better. And if it's a 2014 yeah. post, hmm, then you probably have something. Yeah, yeah, you could exactly. probably write something a little bit better there. <laughs> this is awesome. Uh, we really appreciate you coming on to the show. And uh, yeah. I think there's a little bit of something here for everybody, local and smaller websites, as well as enterprise level folks who are you know whether they're using paid traffic or not obviously this is a this is a still a major source of traffic and should never ever be ignored so optimizing your content looking you know intentionally using some of the tools and we'll make a listing of all those tools inside the show notes is going to yield a lot of results for you even if you just implement just one or two tactics that we've talked about here on this week's show. So Jesse, if somebody wanted to get in contact with you directly, where's the best place that they can search you out? I can basically be found on all social media platforms at Jesse SEO Geek. One of the benefits of having several people with my name in around this world, some of them actually somewhat famous. That's how I found you. <laughs> you come up with alternate <laughs> branding. <laughs> Jesse McDonald SEO will yield quite a few people, believe it or not, but you actually ranked number one. Yeah. So that's pretty good. So he self ranked yeah, yeah, himself. That's been many years. Pretty good. So <laughs> with a broken that's website. It, that's <laughs> it. Perfect. Perfect. Hey, that's all you need. So, no, everything that we mentioned here in this week's show, we will uh, have over for you on digitalmarketer.com dot com forward slash podcast. Make sure you check that out. There are about uh, 10 or 12 tools that we mentioned here and we'll sort of force rank them as far as uh, the importance that Jesse utilizes them. Uh, one of which obviously is our great sponsor of the show, Hrefs, which is great, but in concert with other tools here, I think you can really get a jump start on, on supercharging your site. So make sure you do head over to digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast This has been episode 264. And just one final disclaimer that Jesse's thoughts and opinions are of his own and not those of (laughs) IBM. So in case the IBM guys only listen to the end of the show, you're covered. You got in the beginning. (laughs) Yay, I can keep my job. (laughs) You can keep your job. So thanks for coming on, man. Really appreciate it. Amanda, awesome as always. Until next week, everybody, see ya. You've been listening to Perpetual Traffic. For more information and to get the resources mentioned in this episode, visit digitalmarketer.com forward slash podcast. Thank you for listening.